Howdy folks, it is Monday, June 27th, 2011. I'm Skip Ruddertail, your Otter Editor. With me as always is... Tim is the rail riding cat, and I mean the trains. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is episode, episode 11B of the Bad Dog Book Club. And we're uh, discussing... A story by Nottube, right. a non-biodegradable fox... Which I believe is one of a series of many. I like also an organic shrew, mm-hmm. a, uh, a a locally traded vole, um, <laughs> organically farmed mice. Yep, yep, yep. You're you're on a rodent kick now. Clearly, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just it's, uh, I, the yes, title so, stuck out to me. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, not tube, aka Ryan Campbell, uh, and who I'm sure bears absolutely no relation to tube on FA. Of course not. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. What? What? We don't know. Uh, so thank you, <laughs> not to, for uh, sending us your story. We encourage all you writers to send us your stories as well, and hopefully we'll uh, feature them on the book club. So oh, again, thanks and too. a little shout out. Yeah, Send us your stuff, and thank you, not to. Alex Vance actually kind of like jumped in and said, hey, you guys are going to do this. Yeah, he was like, he's I know. Kind of he's like, I am going to read this bitch. Yeah, he's like, really excited about the story, and I can see why, because I really enjoyed this story. Yeah. It was more or less just like a uh, an entire meditation on death, and I can totally get into that, well, especially coming back from the Bright Eyes concert. Yeah. <laughs> so we also wanted to say uh, it, it's AC this weekend. Um, obviously, we're not there. No. Uh, hopefully next year. Because we're broke, lonely nerds. Right. Hey, I'm not lonely. We're all lonely. Wow. You're you're still being emo again. <laughs> I uh, this is just how my life goes, I'm sorry. Uh oh approaching a hundred percent of us are broke and fifty percent of us are lonely, so there you go. <laughs> um but anyway, our our best wishes to everybody at AC and I hope you all are having had a great time this weekend. Mm-hmm. So just a little shout out Good there. Good times. Yep. Sorry about Pittsburgh. Yeah, we'll we'll be there from next a, year. From a native Pennsylvania. We'll be there next year. Yeah, oh, you're, sure. you're apologizing for yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, I live in D.C. now, but I'm from Pennsylvania, so I just feel like I'm sorry yeah, for know, Pittsburgh. I Pittsburgh's a pretty happening place now. Who told you that? I don't know. I mean, they've been redoing the riverfront and stuff. I hear it's... There's some very wonderful cool. sports teams. Have you seen the sports teams there? No, no. Yeah, you should go see the sports teams. Yeah, Steelers, cool. yeah. Yeah, go, definitely go to Pittsburgh for the sports teams. Yeah. And then leave. Aw. Once the sports teams are away. Don't, don't get a job for the Chamber of Commerce. No. Uh, yeah, by the way, yeah, that, that always impresses me, the amount of money that Anthrocon contributes to the Pittsburgh economy. Oh, yeah, because working in the tourism economy is so much fun, let me tell you. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, so I think much. the one I read the other day was $5.3 million direct contribution to the Pittsburgh economy from furry spending money. So, there you go. But yeah, good stuff. This is good stuff if you completely we're, we're ignore... We're big time now, guys. We're oh big time. Oh my goodness, no. But you're completely ignoring any kind of legitimate criticism of building up tourism economies and what they do. So yeah, sure, it's great. We can say, we can say oh, it's we're going to walk in. It's just a con, dude. Oh my goodness. But you know, I, I work in the tourism industry. This is like relevant to me. People from conventions come to our restaurant mm-hmm. and they 
you know, influence the supply and demand of labor. That's just a fact of life. Yeah. And then you can't just go and say this is, uh, in the raw sense, a positive thing. Maybe we're going to give them three and a half million dollars, but to who in the economy? To the to the rich elite who control the hotel and restaurant interests, or to the actual workers down there? I mean, sure, I'm, I, it's great fun to go down to Pittsburgh and have a good time of vacation, but I just always it always rubs me wrong way that the sanctimony that comes out of phrase, oh, we're going down there and we're, we're contributing to the economy. It reminds me of a story I saw on History Channel when I was, you know, bearing to spend time with my dad by silently watching TV with him. Uh, and they were talking about George Bush's uh, Secret Service motorcade, and they say, you know what, when we come through and we go out, we have a nice meal, we we put money into their economy, and it's it's good for them. And this is the way they really feel. They really feel that their presence going through life, like, brightens people's days and materially improves their lives. And come on, so get over it. why I don't... Enjoy your vacation. Just enjoy your dumb vacation. That's why I don't, you know, try to make casual conversation with Toonses normally. <laughs> I mean, that's all I was doing here, but, you know... You've been out of it. That's good. That's good. Oh well, I, 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 I get it. Let it off. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. So I hate Pittsburgh and I hate tourists. Okay. What can I say? I like the story a lot. Oh well, that's good. At least you <laughs> like something here. One out of three. So I guess that is why we're here. It's a story. So I'll, I'll stop digressing. Apparently, because it fills you with rage. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So. Like I said, Tube sent this in, and I said this is great, and, uh, you know, Alex had read it as well. Um, by the way, yes, I thanks to Sofa Wolf and their new Fables series, where this first appeared. Um, and, you know, we, we had a little shout-out to them, too, at SofaWolf.com, and thank you. Um, but, yeah, Alex said, oh, it's great. I said, it's great. And he said, now I've got somebody I can give it to. And he's like, no, no, i got to read this, because he loved it. And I think he did a great job. Um, when you got to Weasel, though, Alex, wow, that was that was amazing reading, because you were totally freaking the shit out, and it was perfect. Uh, so, yeah, very, very good reading, as always. Alex keeps setting the bar high for any reader. But don't be intimidated. You know, if you want to read, drop us a line. Please do. Yeah. So what did you like about the story? What I found most interesting about the story was that of, of the ones we've used so far, it, uh, it's probably the least furry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say that because it actually starts out with the description of a person right. like waking up. And I, I, when it got to the description of uh, shaving, I was thinking, wait a minute, furry guy shaving? I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's... A yeah. person, and actually, the furry character. That's how you know it. you've been a furry too long, by the way. What like, well, you don't shave your muzzle, <laughs> right? It's people. What? Yeah, <sighs> but um, and uh, but the the only furry characters in the story really exist only in the guy's head, right? So and they're even debatably furry, which is you know something. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it is something I wanted to talk about. Is that we don't have any furries in this story in a traditional. No. sense of anthropomorphic animal people. Yes. And that's exactly what I like about it. Because when it highlights what I like about furries, what I've always, when people always say, like, what is furry and what does it really constitute? I always say it's just uh, a collection of animal imagery mm-hmm. things that people put together mm-hmm. to express a certain uh, ideas about sexuality or whatever they want to really express. And I think that's condensed to its rawest form in this story because the, the characters, they're not just, you know, feral animals, I mean, they're dead feral mm-hmm. animals. They don't have the slightest hint of any kind of anthropomorphic personality mm-hmm. other than what's going on inside this dude's head and the, the, the thoughts he ascribes to them, which he, even in the story, is explicit in saying 
you know, foxes don't think like this. this right. He doesn't think like this. He's dead. It's just all, it's just what's in my head. I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and it really highlights, when you, you, you can really get a point across in regards to using the, the inherent imagery and the symbolism in animals mm-hmm. and animism or whatever you want to call it. Once you've kind of stripped away all that human characteristics right. from it. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, well, I like that. I like the way you defined furry there because it's a very inclusive definition uh, rather than exclusive one. And I'm in most things in, in anthropology and social science stuff, I'm, I'm all about inclusive definitions that accomplish a wider variety. Um, and, and so I like that. It, it leaves opening, it leaves flexibility, it leaves flexibility to writers um, and artists as to what furry is without defining it as this narrow uh, set of rules that you have to adhere to. Because that's the way, I think, to stagnation yeah. um, in art forms. Most definitely. And, well, you, we were actually talking about earlier. You were saying, you know, American art is great because, you know, there weren't these people earlier to leave all these rules as to how it had to be. Um, and, and so I think that can be said about a lot of things. It can be said about furry writing, is you want to be mm-hmm. careful of the rules that this is the way furry has to be. Well, then what, what would also help the promotion of furry art would be if the CIA saw it as a way to promote Western values against Eastern communism. If we could get that cinched up, we could definitely be on the front pages. Just like, you know, the modernists. Not the modernist. I don't know the um, expressionist like Jackson Pollock. Uh-huh. You didn't read that's, that story? Yeah, but, well, we're we're just off on another terror again. Aren't we? <laughs> somehow we got into communism and the CIA. And, um, just let it go, dude. Communism's over, man. Okay, I'll concentrate on death some more. Okay, let's get back to the story. Um, <laughs> no, I thought that was interesting. It also reminded me. I mean, it was another one of these stories, and, and I think one of the reasons I love it is I could see it, you know, greedily acted out by a great character actor in like a Twilight Zone-ish episode again, too. You know, sitting there and you know, filmed in glorious black and white, and then sitting there, you know, going through the teen and doing the surgery when the fox head tips over and clutching <gasps> back. I mean, I think it would be great. Uh, you, could, you could do an interesting filming of this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very visual. Uh, a very visual piece, I thought. Yeah. Which is interesting, because it's so within his head, and it's and it's interesting um, that not Tube was able to accomplish, you know, story that is basically exclusively when the guy, in, within the guy's head, and yet make it such a visual, mm-hmm. clearly, you know... Well, it's the incredibly vibrant imagery that he uses. Yes. Especially, yes. I was especially fond of the imagery he used to describe uh, degradation. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I think the in the scene when he was saying that the fox would never rot away, that yes. it would that the beetles would never crawl over it because of the sense or whatever like that. That the um, it would just flake away into the wind like material or something like that. Yeah. It was, was a very, I think, vivid way of cementing. The, the, the themes that had been coming across of preservation versus death and finality and things like that. It's, I, when you have uh, in a story the ability to really produce these uh, illustrative images, mm-hmm. you're going to uh, hook people easily, and they're going to remember it, too. Right. So, maybe to backtrack almost a little bit, um, 
double question here for us. Uh, what is the story about, and why? Why are the taxidermied animals talking to this guy? Like, why? Why is this happening to him? The main conflict in in the story seems to be this guy trying to cope with primarily his age and his mortality and uh, the age the the death of his of his wife. Right. Right. And, and I agree. Uh, his, yeah, and his, and also I would also argue that there might be a legitimate medical issue here where he might be slipping into dementia. Where that mm. would be that would be in and of itself a, its own struggle, independent of oh dear, mm-hmm. death is coming, and that's just like it'd be like how hard he's living alone out in the woods apparently. Mm-hmm. How, how hard is life going to become? This is kind of why I, I expected him to die out in the woods. Mm, it's, yeah. It would have seemed to me a fitting ending at the time. Just well, there's clearly indicators of heart trouble here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his left arm going numb and classic heart attack signs a couple different times. And then, you know, he pulls back from it. And then, as you said again, there's this kind of climactic scene out in the woods when he's by the mockingbird and he's about to set the fox down. And the bells come. And we can get to the bells in a second, what they right. are. But then, you know, appears to have another one of these, you know, heart episodes in, in Dick Cheney parlance. Right. Although he's uh, not supposed to be anymore. Right, that's true. He, and the, here's the thing, here's the, the fact about Dick Cheney, he is oh, not sure if he wants to get a real heart again. Yeah. Well, it's worked so well for him, <laughs> you know. He's not sure if he wants the pulse back. Right. This is real life, it's not, it's that yeah, surreal. No. But I'm sorry I interrupted. Well, um... No, that's interesting though because he doesn't have a pulse, right? So if you took if you took Dick Cheney's pulse because it's like an impeller, so it's a continuous flow. Yeah. So if you took his pulse, you wouldn't feel anything. There'd be no because heartbeat. There's no heartbeat. I think that'd be interesting. You know, I mean, it's interesting. Like, what if you're, you know, this is a total fact, but right? You know, what, what, how? Uh, if you're doing CPR, somebody's injured, and you take their pulse. If they have one of these things, he has like, to you, wear, Would you just assume they were dead? He has to wear a bracelet that uh, uh, says "My heart doesn't beat." Okay. <laughs> only you know Dick, only Dick Cheney would have to wear he one. He literally of these. does. Yeah, this is true, real life. <laughs> only Dick Cheney. I think, I think there's a good story idea there somewhere. But anyway, um, it doesn't have to be a story. It's real life. Oh no, I'm saying you know, you could do something with that. But anyway. Uh, so, you know, he has another one of these heart incidents episodes, what have you, um, in the woods. And, right, we both, I think, thought, well, this is it. Right. Like, this guy's going to die in a second. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. The bells fade away. Mm-hmm. And big difference is, then what happens? So he goes home. Well... The animals no longer talk to him. Oh, yeah. His wife says goodbye, but the animals no longer talk to him. And even he looks up at Mockingbird, who's been in this tree preserved for several years now, and he doesn't see it as a bird anymore. Just a kind of weathered clump of feathers. Hmm. So his visual perception of the world has changed, too. Interesting. And that he sees that she, Mockingbird, is, you know, weathered and eroded over the years since he put her up in that tree, which he didn't notice before. 
Yeah. And now she's just a clump of feathers up there, an odd clump of feathers up there, mm-hmm. and not Mockingbird anymore. It's it's, it's a nice ending, and it kind of gives the guy a sense of resolution. And when when you kind of expect the story to end like that, and then it ends in such a different note, I end up tr- tr- trying to compare the two, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel as if it may have been a little bit anticlimactic. That's mm. it. It's the only thing I was unsure about in the story, because I feel that by the end, when he... Uh, Wakes up the next morning, he sleeps in, which, as he had expressed earlier in the story, was kind of a representation of the beginning of the end. It seemed as if it gets across the same idea as if he died out in the woods. It's just, you know, much less evocative imagery. Except... What's it? What the... If, you know, if we are still to buy his earlier presumption that, you know, the day he sleeps in is the beginning of the end, and I'm not sure we should even by the end of the story, or if that's his fears but not reality. Um, if we are to even, you know, still accept that this is the beginning of the end, it's an, he's conscious of the fact and yet still choosing to sleep in. So it's something that he is accept death then is something that he is accepting of and embracing of rather than fighting. Right. And, and I think, you know, maybe you could say that if he had died right there in the clearing. It, it wouldn't have been his choice. He wouldn't have been accepting of it. It would have just happened. And I think that's an interesting statement to make, you know, because we can't... It's death, you know. We yeah. can't often choose that. Um, you know, most time we don't, you know, choose that. It just comes for you. Uh, but... So that's one lesson they could have left the story with. But I think the the lesson that Not Tube chose to leave us with is that here's a guy who has made his peace and is accepting mm-hmm. of what has happened and what will happen to him and is choosing that path irregardless. Right. And you have that, that scene on the walk back where the forest has become more like completely barren and the crickets no longer chirp. And well, yeah, what did you think about that? I, I'm not sure about... The, I don't know, the environmentalist aspect of the story here. Um, and, and I say this as a huge environmentalist, but, you know, we get these little hints, and then we, you know, the fox probably got poisoned from the water from the chemical plant or whatever upstream, and then maybe his wife got cancer, and probably did, and he may be suffering effects from it, as you pointed out. Right. Uh... And, you know, then he goes through the forest and everything is dead and the trees are dying and from the polluted water. And I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure this kind of environmentalist part of the story is necessary to me. It feels a little tacked on to me. I don't know. It doesn't really... Pre- I'd say it doesn't predominate is what it is. So it, it's kind of subtle in it influences maybe how you perceive the story, but I really just thought of it as being much more in line with the imagery of death and degradation and decay of the environment becoming polluted and and rotten and unusable, which if you want to just think of that as uh, like land becoming fallow, that happened before industrial uh, before the industrial revolution just because people would Overplant the, the mm-hmm. fields and they go dry and people go well the land's dead we're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read a uh, like Willa Cather's O Pioneers and their struggle with the land and the, just they, there's a, a real connection and idea between how uh, 
you live with the land. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt it wasn't so much an explicit political environmental message. It's just an extension of you know the really vivid imagery. Hmm. I don't know. And so maybe I'm reading too much into it. Well, there. when when you all right, are you suggesting it's it the dead forest is working more on a, a some, metaphorical yeah. symbolic level for death in general? Yeah, I don't think he's trying to be too um, political here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, I could he could have been up to the Sinclair on this and gone off on a three-minute speech about how only the Socialist Party can save us from the the horrible uh, pollution of the of the pure white landscape or whatever. You know, Will Cather always drove me crazy because in their out in Colorado talking about all the birch trees and it's like they're not birch trees they're aspens <laughs> anyway oh, sorry, you, prompted, you, you prompted that right there I was like oh they're not birches so I, just, I had a flashback so, so I guess that's <laughs> my frustration <laughs> so I, I guess you're just not as angry a ranter as I am yeah, yeah. Uh, I would have I w if I was you I would have interrupted right away and been like Bert don't <laughs> even get me Jesus Birches. Fuck. Hate birches. No, if you, if you hate birches, you should let it out. You should go fight Robert Frost. No, no, birches are all right. Dude, this <laughs> guy can, like, walk two paths, kick my ass. <laughs> anyway, uh... <laughs> no, Be uh, more aggressive, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so, well, interesting. So I, I don't know, I, I mean, I did read this environmentalist image, and I did feel it was kind of tacked on, but I, I, I maybe the question is then, so if it isn't, if it is... I think your reading makes more sense of the forest as a metaphor, but maybe but, there's too much detail in there for me. The fact that it's mentioned that there's this chemical plant and stuff I makes me to wonder that it's an environmental thing rather than an unexplained. But it. What it, I would say is like here's the other part of that: that the fox represents all foxes, or you know, all weasels, all birds, right? And, and that seems to lead to me as like one of these Silent Spring deals, all Rachel Carson. That you know, there. I think there are little hints in the story that there aren't any more foxes anywhere. He says it's important because there, are, you know, you are all foxes, and there aren't more. Um, you know, and this is this is you know this little microcosm is symptomatic or symbolic of everywhere, um, not just for his feelings, but for this environmental aspect. I don't know. Not too, but you'll have to tell me about I, it when we chat online. So. I'd read that all foxes thing a couple different ways. For one, I liked it because it, it actually almost explicitly stated my idea with naming conventions and why I kind of... I, I tend not to give a lot of my characters names, especially in porn stories, because I don't want them to represent something specific or something that would feel particular something like museums more general mm -hmm. but I think you could have read this as two ways if you that's wanted, why if you they're to, all like bitch and slut mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I mean why not top. pet names yeah <laughs> you know cute things yep. but okay so you can read this creation of the, the fox representing all foxes as two things you can either reinforce the environmental message which I'd be cool with I mean why not read it as an environmental message oh, yeah. that'd be cool and say that it's representing the, the extinction of these planets by, or at least their removal from the immediate Surrounding by the pollution of the mm -hmm. lake, but the the reading I actually keyed in on when I was reading was the idea that uh, when when you die, all these separate concepts that you appreciate will be gone. So it's not just that like when you die, this fox is gone. All foxes are gone. No more foxes. Right. No more mockingjays. No more bears. And he says that actually. It says something like like no more 
shaving kits, no more something something. He just gives a, a, ran- a list of some everyday items, like no mm-hmm. more those or all those or something like that. It reinforces this idea that it's not this fox is a as the specific thing that it was that he projects a personality onto and its particular life, but mm-hmm. foxes as an entity. Yeah, and and I think that does uh, speak personality does go back a little bit to you know what we've talked about before and other things is that we clearly have mental images for how we see these animals like what do bears you know what do we think of when we think of bears what do we think of when we think of foxes you know and mm-hmm. so clearly this fox you know fits into this um, you know a little bit of a trickster persona or mischievous cheeky persona. Right. Um, you know, and Bear is kind of slow and not smart. And, I mean, very friendly. Right, but very friendly, you know. And, and so, and, but that makes sense. If these are, if this is all this guy's head filling in half of his, uh, the other half of his conversations, you know, these are perhaps aspects of his personality, hmm. you know, as typified by these avatars. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the fox is, and and he leaves the fox for last because it's the one that it's if in that reading he leaves the fox for last because it's a part of his personality that he is most scared to face and Mm. deal with because I think it's the most truthful. You know, I mean, the fox repeatedly tells him, "You're talking to a stuffed fox. You're crazy." You know, and tells him all these things that he doesn't want to hear. Tells him things that literally make him so angry, you know, he shakes. Right. Or almost has a heart attack and dies. Right. And that's why Fox was last. Because mm-hmm. that part of his, you know, mind was, was going to be challenging him and questioning him and saying, why are you doing this? Why does it make sense to you? Hmm. And his wife made the same criticisms. Mm-hmm. She didn't like the taxidermy thing either. Right. Which I can relate to. I mean, we go to the Smithsonian all the time, too. Um, so I was in natural history, uh, actually, with uh, Sean and Andrew from Rabbit Valley uh, about a month ago. Um, you know, and we wander over to the uh, was it west side where they've got all the stuffed animals. And I don't know, I never like it much over there. You know, it's it's weird it's kind of weird and creepy no. to me, you know, and most of those animals I most of those animals are in the national zoo too. They, you know, most of those you could go over. Yeah, they do. But most of those you could go over, you know, a short hop in the metro and actually see the animals alive. Um then they'd be scary. But it's, it's, well, I think it is a little bit of an earlier era kind of thing. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's a weird thing. Like, I wonder what's going to happen to these taxidermied animals at museums. Because I, I feel like I can't be the only one, who, especially when the animal is at the local zoo, and you wonder, like, why is this even here anymore? <laughs> you know, what am, I, what am I learning from this? What am I getting from this? Aren't they bored? I can understand it when it's for extinct animals, and that's definitely cool. You know, so like the dinosaur parts, or even like extinct mammals. Like they had a stuffed thylacine, that'd be awesome. I don't think hmm. they do though. I mean, I think for the most part, they're all actual animals that are, you know, five miles away at the zoo. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I I understand that weirdness about like what what is the purpose of this, um, especially in this era, you know. And I guess his reading is well, the animals are no longer alive anyway; they're no longer outside, um, and that's his rationale. But his rationale was that he was giving a germ of life back to them by making them mimic life, mm-hmm. and it's actually presented in, in in the story in a way that I think it's supposed to seem kind of flimsy. Mm-hmm. As if he's only kind of telling this to himself. Yeah. The, the fox kind of sees through it immediately. And like we say, the fox representing a piece of his psyche of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but isn't isn't taxidermy like kind of like that uh, educational use of it born of the same era that had like human zoos and nonsense like that? Oh, yeah, I mean, this is probably... I mean, people have been taxidermy animals for hundreds and hundreds of years. But I think a lo- most of the animals that we see in the great museums in the u.s for instance come from the late 1800s early 1900s um a lot of the animals say at the smithsonian were shot by you know president roosevelt teddy roosevelt on his (laughs) ex but seriously um you know were shot by president roosevelt many of the animals in the national zoo um you know and and his stated goal was to you know that these would be allow people to see how these animals looked and, you know, visualize them and see them in person. Um, Partially in his mind, I mean, he he loved hunting, and I will say that, but part of his rationale was that people will see these animals, how majestic they are, and want to do things to protect them. Did that work? Did that work? Well, he did. Okay, I mean, he did create create the National Park System, for instance. Hmm. You know, we were the first country to do national parks. He created that. That's true. Um, so I think, you know, to a large degree, I could say that maybe it did. Oh, cool. But it may be an idea that's time is, you know, has passed. I can YouTube a lion. Yeah. I'm a YouTube a lion right now. Well, or like I said, you can actually go down to the National Zoo and see it. But it may be an idea that's time has passed. And maybe even zoos, for that matter. I think there, you know, there are definitely people that aren't wild about the ideas of zoos, and I think there are definitely animals that probably don't belong Nerds. in zoos. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. Oh, yeah. Whatever. It's a zoo. Oh, see, I, uh, look, we can get all upset about furries going to Anthrocon, and now you're like, whatever, it's a zoo? <laughs> yep. <sighs> Hypocrite. Yep. Yeah, all right. Yep. Precisely how it goes. Uh, let's see what else. Well, the writing style of the story was great. Um, mm-hmm. The conversations were great. Uh, the animals and their... Or the facets... Animals, the facets of his personality um, were, you know, very different from each other. Mm-hmm. And well done. Dialogue um, was wonderful. The dialogue, like I said, and like I said, I could see... I mean, this guy, I can really see him in my mind. I, the description was so good here, and I, like I said, I, you could film this, you could do whatever you wanted with this. It's it's really, um, this comes together nicely. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like the ending, because I, I, I like, you know, I don't, I'm not one of these people like, all oh, the stories have to have happy endings, but I do like ha- a happy ending, I do. You know? Is this a happy ending? And I think so, because, it's, I mean, it's not like, sunshine and ponies or anything or the animals magically come to life or anything like that but i think it was a happy ending because it's a redemptive ending and it's him moving past 
the death of his wife. Right. Obviously, it's not a super happy ending because, I mean, the land is still poisoned and, and Yeah, but who cares about that once you're dead? Yeah, yeah. Really? And maybe that's part of what he's coming to grips with, too. So. But they, he says at one point that whole world's come to end. Mm-hmm. So... That was very this, grim. This, yeah. The scale of it doesn't even really seem all that impressed. Yeah. Ugh. Whatever. Are you okay? Now you're getting all, like... Well, it's just... I'm just getting in the mood of the story. It's oh, like, okay. I, went, I go to the Bright Eyes concert. I wasn't smiling. Yeah. Well, Jeez, I'm crap. Really? Actually, at a concert? At, at a at concert? <laughs> I thought you were smiling and singing along with the sad song. At the Bright Eyes concert, even during, like, the, the very quiet, reflective, sad songs, drunk bitches be going, Connor, I love you! Nice. And these drunk bitches, drunk bitches populated, I think, about 55% of the audience with drunk bitches' boyfriends being about 25% and homos being the rest. Uh-huh. Okay, so the drunk bitches behind us kept screaming, That's 20%, by the way. Poison Oak! Poison Oak! And they were screaming Poison Oak during the opening chords of Poison Oak. <laughs> That's the best, yeah. Damn, damn. I always like, love that concert. Not, uh, so people who clap, who like know what song it is in the first bar, and then the people who know what song it is when they start singing. I was like that at concerts. Yeah. Like woo, and then like, they, you know, and then oh that song, woo. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, my, during the encore, he introduced a song. This is a song about casual sex, and everyone immediately knew, and everybody started cheering. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Well, everybody likes casual sex, so why not? Yes. We'll have to do a song about, ca- I mean, a story about casual sex yes. for the next one, maybe, yes. or the one after that. Well, we have a couple things uh, coming down the pipeline. I'm not sure we're not sure the order yet, um, but we do have a story from Cube Triangle, which is being recorded by Sparf. We have um, a story from the new uh, Days anthology published by Fur Planet, mm-hmm. and Fuzz is going to pick one of those out and read it for us. He published it. My good friend Jack Drakier and I are mm-hmm. polishing up a story. Yep, and uh, mm-hmm. I think Ronnie's going to read a story from Kyle Gold at good some times. point. So we've got, you know, we've got some things coming down in the pipeline, and you know, we're keeping the order a little mixed up because it keeps us more more interesting for us, and partially depends on when people get recordings back to us. But we are still always looking for more. So if you have a story you want to send in. Please do. You don't have to be like, oh, I've been polished 15 million times or whatever. No, no. If you've got a story that you're proud of, send it in. Yep. We'll take a look at it. Absolutely. That's and it fine. doesn't have to be published in some magazine or something. No, that's fine. If it's on SoFur, if yep. it's on FA, if it isn't on anywhere yet and you just want to send it in, that is fine. We Please do. Um, and you can get us at Bad Dog Book Club or baddogbooks.com slash book club. Yeah, and you can email me at tunes at drivingcat.org. Yep, and skip at baddogbooks.com. So uh, I think that about wraps up today. Do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I think I've interrupted you enough. Yeah, that's all right. Well, we've inter- we always interrupt each other. See, I don't want you to take this all upon yourself that you're the interrupter just because you're incredibly rude all the time yeah, but i'm just i'm the one that i'm the one that does say we should be aggressive and i just yes. i wanted to point out we went out we usually go out to lunch or something before yes. we have our little podcast meetings or whatever we were wearing a t-shirts today his was light blue it says prepare for otter annihilation and mine was like a kind of a light pink and it says unicorn power and I thought, we were we the separate teams? we were the butchest couple around i gotta <laughs> say because with our powder blue and 
I just pink like, shirts with otters and unicorns on them. We were badass motherfuckers. I just want to know what we were competing in because we were definitely on different teams. That's what I figured. No, I, I'm, a, I'm a pitcher and you're a catcher. But the unicorn has the horn. Yeah. That's okay. Just because it's Sarah doesn't mean you have to use it. <laughs> right? Bro, anyway, oh, anyway. It's true, though. All right. It's just a symbolic thing. Jesus Christ. Not like imagery. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is, we're talking about stories here. If we're not going to talk about symbolic imagery, I want to say some what more are we going to talk about? about? Pittsburgh? No, we're, we're done with that. Let Pittsburgh alone. <laughs> Pittsburgh. What about Baltimore? I can say so many things Be about more. Baltimore. No, no. What about we're Amish done. country? <sighs> you know, maybe just just be a little friendly for a change. All right. Okay. Oh, you don't I, have anything I do like nice to say. Well, there I do you like go. Your I shirt. like your shirt, too. Thank All right, with that, folks, this uh, wraps up episode 11B of the Bad Dog Book Club. I've been Skip. This is Tinsuit. And you have a good rest of the week, and we'll see you next week with a new story. Ciao, Bellows.